What's up, guys? Welcome to this month's bonus episode of the Watermark Students Podcast. In a moment, you'll listen in on this month's Shoreline, where a high school student shares their testimony of God's work in their life, followed by a message which we believe will be helpful and applicable to your life as a teenager. We're so glad you're here, and without further delay, let's tune in. Hey guys, my name is Harper McFarlane and I'm a senior at TCA. I now have a new life in Christ and I'm recovering from lack of self-worth and receiving my validation and identity from others. When I first started coming to Shoreline and hearing people's testimonies, I told myself that one day I would be up on the stage telling my own story after I had everything figured out. As I thought about my own testimony, I kept thinking about how my story wasn't exciting enough to share since I didn't have some monumental moment. After recently sharing these feelings with my mentor, she encouraged me with the fact that Christ's transformation of my heart is the monumental moment of my life. The truth is, I still don't have everything figured out, and I never will, but I don't have to. I learned at camp this year that my testimony is all about how God has moved in my life this far. My story will change as God continually works in my future. Being raised in a Christ-centered home helped me learn so much about Jesus at a young age, which led me to accept Christ as my savior when I was six. Since then, I have always prided myself in being the good kid who follows the rules and knows the right answers. I knew how to respond correctly in small group and church to appear like I had a super strong relationship with Christ, even though I really didn't. Every year at camp, I told myself I would prioritize my Bible study, prayer life, and relationship with God Every year, however, those feelings began to feel like chores and the camp high slowly wore off. I began to live with the mentality that because I had accepted Christ as my savior, it was okay for me to continuously sin without caring to change since God has abounding grace and forgiveness. I told myself that since I outwardly was a good kid and no one could see my sins, that I was actually really fine. Externally, I was doing great, but internally I was really struggling and losing sight of who I was in Christ. I thought that if I appeared to have everything together, people would praise me and that would fulfill my want for validation. I've always struggled with my self-worth, but as I got into high school and drifted farther from God, I began to look to the people around me for this much-wanted validation. I placed my identity in who my close friends said I was instead of who Christ tells me I am. This unhealthy mindset led to many insecurities, unnecessary overthinking, and drama that could have been prevented if I had realized who I should be looking to for fulfillment. Junior year was the peak of my struggle with finding my identity in people rather than God. As I continued to be let down, I started to question if my identity was being placed in the right things. God began to stir my heart through leading a fifth grade girls Bible study with two of my closest friends. Talking to these young girls about healthy friendships and how to have a real relationship with God made me reflect on my own relationships. I realized I had an unhealthy dependency on the people around me that was leading me to be repeatedly frustrated. One day in the winter of my junior year, I did a morning mercies devotional that explained that looking to people for your inner self-worth never works. And we do not need to prove anything on here on earth because God has already freed us through his grace. Reading this lifted a weight off my shoulders that had been there for years. It clicked in my head that people cannot fulfill me because they are sinners too, and that is not their job. The only one who can truly tell me who I am and fulfill me is God. I now have God as my constant who will never disappoint or let me down. Now I no longer have to keep up the appearance of having everything together while knowing that inside my heart, it does not match. Ephesians 1, 7 states, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. 
I no longer feel the need to prove myself by doing the right things and knowing the right answers. I no longer feel the need to look to the people surrounding me for my identity. I still struggle a lot, but no longer I feel unfulfilled and frustrated because I now stand on Christ and what he's done for me. God teaches me to look to him daily for my identity and remember that I am his child. If you can relate to any part of my story, I want you to remember that it only matters who God says you are. I've learned that while friends can encourage and be there for you, they were never made to fulfill you the way God does. Remember that God will always be there for you no matter what changes and hardships you encounter. Thank you for listening to my story and what God has done in my life. Amen. What's up, Shoreline? Merry Christmas to you all. Hey, my name is Will McElroy. If we haven't gotten the chance to meet, I am the Shoreline Men's Coordinator, and I'm so excited to be here with you all and continue our series called A Fight for Your Mind. And the reason, uh, just to bring you back over the why we've been doing this series this year is because we believe that your thoughts will shape your beliefs, that your beliefs will create actions, that your actions will be ha- become habits, and your habits will shape your way of life. And so the person, the man or woman that you will become is dependent on your thoughts. And so that is why we are calling this series a fight for your mind because there is a fight happening in your mind and we want to teach you how to fight it. But tonight uh, we're going to talk about comparison. That's going to be the subject for tonight is comparison. And to start this uh, topic of comparison, I want to tell you a a story that uh, really a little bit about my life uh, from whenever I was a, a student, when I was a teenager. And look, if you know if you know me, you know that I I love running. Like the growing up, uh, I did track, cross country. I ran in college. Uh, I still run some today, and that was like my sport. Like I don't know if you have a sport, but that was my sport. And part of the reason I think that was my sport was because I was just too small to do football or track or, or, or excuse me, football or baseball or anything like that. Like you can here's a picture of me just to illustrate how small I was. Like this was me, right? I think. Someone, I asked uh, the team, the students team, like, how old do you think I was in that picture? And they were like 10. It's like, no, I was 15. And this is me at 15 years old. And so, I mean, not only was I just hadn't hit puberty yet, you know? So, like, there was no way I could do play football or basketball or anything. So, I was like, I guess I'm going to be a runner. And, look, I, for the most part, I loved running. We can get rid of this picture, by the way. We don't need to leave that up there. Uh, but for the for the most part, I, I loved running, right, through my – I ran – 10 years competitively, like from seventh grade to senior year of college. And most of those years, I loved it. However, in high school, around the time I was that age, there were moments where I would, I don't know if you've ever done this after a performance or after a track meet or a game where I would just go home like crying because I was so frustrated with running. And the times that I was the most frustrated were times that I would compare myself to others. Specifically, there was a few guys that would always beat me. There was a few guys who would, every race they would show up and I was like, this is going to be the time that I keep up with them and beat them. And then it's just like, man, every time there's a few guys that would beat me and I would compare myself to them and be like, what are they doing differently? Like, like here's an example of a guy that beat me. His name is uh, Bryce Hopple. He's about to be up on the screen right here. So he's the guy that beat me and 
I would just be like, man, what is he doing differently? Like, how's he always beating me? And I wish I could go back to my 15-year-old self. Well, the thing he's doing differently is he hit puberty at eight years old, you know, so that, that helped. But in reality, I was just like, man, like, why can't I beat him? And then it caused me, like, every time he would, like, beat me in a race, I would just go home and be like, man, I must not be very good at this running thing. Like, I should just give it up because this guy makes it look effortless. And, and, and so the reason I start there is because comparison, it has the ability to take things that you would otherwise love and make you hate them. It has the ability to take things that you would otherwise love and make you hate them, resent them, complain about them. For me, that was running. Otherwise, most of the time I loved running. The few times that I would cry about it, complain about it, be frustrated by it, were the times that I would compare myself to people like Bryce Hopple. And I don't know about you, I don't know what it is in your life, but I think for most of us in this, for most of us in this room that there are things that you would otherwise love, but you complain about, you hate, you get frustrated about because you compare. And I don't know if it's schoolwork, I don't know if it's your body. I don't know if it's your sport. Maybe it's your parents. That was something for me too growing up that I started to get frustrated with my parents because they were the strict parents. They weren't as cool as other parents. So people that I otherwise would love, I began comparing them to other parents and began frustrated with them. And, and so all this is says, man, I, and, and what's funny is I wish I could go back to my 15-year-old self and be like, hey, Will, like, let me show you the full picture. Like this guy you compare yourself to, like Bryce Hopple, like this, this is what's going to happen to Bryce Hopple. Well, first of all, Will, you'll have a modest running career and then go become a youth pastor. Well, this is where Bryce Hopple will end up. He will uh, become an Olympian. Like this guy that I ran against and who beat me every time is now an Olympian. Like he went on to reach the pinnacle of success. And I wish I could go to my 15-year-old self, Will, and be like, Will, like stop crying over these guys that are beating you because he won a genetic lottery that you didn't. And you're spending your time comparing around them. It's like, Will, stay in your lane, man. Like, dude, just, just focus on yourself and you will enjoy your modest career of running at a Division II college. And you will have a great life too. But don't compare yourself to Bryce Hopple because he got a set of genes that you just didn't. And that's okay, right? But we do that, right? We compare ourselves to other people who we're never meant to be. And it causes us to hate things we would otherwise love. So that's why we're talking about comparison tonight. And the other reason, there's another reason why I want to talk to you about comparison tonight. And what I'm about to say to you is a bit of a cliche statement, but it's true, is this is a message I wish I would have heard when I was your age. And again, I know that's a cliche statement, but let me prove why I think that's true. Is because comparison will only get harder from this moment forward. Comparison will only get harder from this moment forward. What do I mean by that? I don't mean to scare you, but what I mean by that is there will only become more opportunities for you to compare yourself to other people. Here's a, here's a graph, just to prove it to you. I'm going to prove it to you with this graph. We made this, this graph. And so on one axis, I, what, what's the up and down axis? What is that called? The x-axis? No, that's the Y, the Y, okay, yeah, yeah, the Y axis, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Y axis, the up one with the money sign, and then on the, the other letter, we got time axis, all right? We got the time axis. So we'll start, let's say, what, what's the average high schooler make, like a 16-year-old in a summer job? 
$12? Let's just say $12. Like, let's say the average high schooler makes $12 in their, seven, their summer job. Well, I've talked to some of you. I know some of you make $16 an hour in your summer job, and that's pretty good. But, and, and so let's look at this graph, for example. Like this first, when you're 16 years old, 17 years old, uh, it's pretty close. Like the richest 16-year-old is maybe making like $18 an hour, uh, but the, the poorest one is making $10 an hour. And that may feel like a big difference, but it's not that much. Like you're still pretty close. Well, when you become my age, I'm 25, I've been in a full-time, a real job for a few years now, well, things start to become a little different. You see, I chose to go into ministry, and then my best friend, he chose to go into finance. And look, here's the next uh, picture right here. As you see, you know, he, he now makes way more than I do, right? And, and so now it's like, man, like, there's more, as I've gotten older, there's more and more opportunity to compare. Well, you can go ahead and go to the next slide here is imagine when you're 55 or 60. Uh, you know, some of you are going to be CEOs in here or uh, own your own business and you're going to make a lot of money. And some of you are going to be again like me and you'll go into ministry and you'll make a modest salary, although that graph had an uptick at the end. Y'all see that? So I finally learned how to negotiate, I guess, uh, my salary. I had that double honor, you know, at the end. But anyways, I think y'all get my point. Like, it only will get harder. Like, there will be more and more things. It may feel like there's a lot to compare to right now, but there will only be more. Like, imagine when you have kids. Like, you're going to compare your kid to other kids, or you're going to start comparing, like, where you're going to college to someone else, or money, or your body. Like, your body's going to change more. It's just all going to get harder as you get older. And so now, tonight is the night. That is why... That is why I want to talk about this in a fight for your mind tonight, because we want to equip you tonight how to fight rightly around this topic of comparison. So here's what we're going to do tonight. And as y'all know, I love to ask questions, and we're going to ask just two questions tonight. The first one will be this, is where does worldly comparison take us? So we've already talked a little bit about the dangers of comparison, but I want to get more explicit and talk about where does worldly comparison take us? And now you may be thinking like, why do I, why do we call it worldly comparison? Isn't all comparison worldly? But no, I think, I think there's a different type of comparison. I don't think comparison is necessarily a bad thing. I believe there is this thing that I'm going to define as holy comparison. I believe God intends to use comparison for good. And so that's going to be the second question is how does God use comparison for good? And I really do believe, I, I hope it makes sense at the end when I describe this idea of holy comparison. And just to start out, we'll unpack this as we go on, but I just want to give you a definition that if, you, if you're someone who tends to zone out or you get distracted, like if you remember one thing, remember, remember this definition. Worldly comparison is thinking you deserve more, and holy comparison is realizing you have more than you deserve. Worldly comparison is thinking you deserve more, Holy comparison is realizing that you have more than you deserve. So we will continue to unpack that, but let's go ahead and move uh, through this first question and focus on worldly comparison. Where does worldly comparison take us? Well, the first place it takes us, there's going to be three quick answers here to where does worldly comparison take us. The first place is this, what I call the the land of Ur. Worldly comparison takes us to the land 
of Ur. What, what do I mean by the land of Ur? Well, every, every summer, we have summer interns who we have them listen to a message called the Comparison Trap. And in it, the pastor, he warns us about the land of Ur. Well, well, what's the land of Ur? Well, the land of Ur is that when you look around in your life, you will always find someone who is more Ur of something than you, who is faster than you, who is smarter than you, who is cooler than you, prettier than you, richer, stronger, popular, luckier. There will always be someone, no matter how successful you are, there will be someone who is more Ur than you. Go back to my friend Bryce Hopple, that Olympian I showed you. Now, I'm not close with him. I don't know him. He may be great, but I bet at the Olympics, I bet he was a little disappointed because he didn't win. He didn't even make it to the final race. Like, he lost in the semifinals. He, and I bet he compared himself to people who were faster than he was. And, in, and you would think, like, I would be like, man, that was, that's, you're at the pinnacle of success, Bryce Hopple, but I'm sure that he still struggled with comparing himself to other people. And when we compare ourselves to other people, no matter how successful you get, there will always be someone who is better at something than you. You'll be able to find it. And what that does when you do that, when you look to someone who is faster, smarter, prettier, it devalues what you have. It causes you to, to devalue, to be ungrateful for what you do have. Let me show you as we turn to God's word and to Matthew 20. If you have your Bible, you can open up to Matthew 20. Um, and there's this parable that Jesus tells, a short story about these laborers in a vineyard. And I'll set you up some context, and then we'll read the second half of it. But basically, Jesus, he tells a story about this master, this, this boss who owns a vineyard, and this master he needed some workers. And so what he did at the start of the day, he hired some fellows to come work for him. And then he went to town around lunchtime and hired a few more guys. And then at the very end of the day, with just one hour left, he hired some other guys. And so you have three groups of guys. You have guys who worked all day. You have guys who worked out half a day and you have guys who worked one hour. And then the story can, keeps going to where we're going to pick up where it's time for them to get their paycheck. It's time for them to see how much money they're going to get. And this is where we are. So Matthew chapter 20, verse 9, you can follow along. It says, And when those hired, about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. So this first verse is about the people who, they only worked one hour, and they received a denarius, which was a full day's wage. So they, they got lucky. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. And truthfully, the, the verse that stuck out to me the most here as we talk about comparison was when the master first replied. He says, 
friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree to a day's wage? Like those guys, when they first got hired, they agreed to a day's wage. They said, I, would be, I will be happy if I get paid one denarius for a day of work. But then when they got paid, they immediately looked over and saw someone who was luckier than they were. And it caused them to devalue what they did have. And look, just to illustrate this point, excuse me, to illustrate this point is, I, I'm not going to throw this anymore, I promise. Uh, but I, I'm not a guy that typically wins things, but I, I won this pan one day, right? I don't know about you. Yeah, come on. And look, I'm not that guy. Like, I, I would not have been the kid at D-Town that got my name drawn. But one day, we had our staff retreat. We were the Watermark staff. We go to uh, Pine Cove for a couple of days. We had a retreat. And one day, they were giving out prizes. And uh, they drew my name on the hat, and I won this pan. And look, I wasn't, I won't lie to you, I wasn't, like, that excited. Uh, it's a pan. But I was like, that's pretty cool. And it's a good, like... Caraway pan. I don't know if y'all know name brand pans, but it's a good pan. Uh, and so I was happy with it. I was like, we'll, we'll love this. I, hey, I cook in our house too. So I was like, this would be good for me uh, to cook with. And, and then, so I was content with it. But then the next guy that got his name drawn out of the hat, he won an iPad. And look, I don't really, like, I didn't, I've never put an iPad on my Christmas list. But as soon as he got one, I was like, what? Like, I got a pan? And this guy got an iPad, like, come on, like, come on, can we do a trade? Like, like, how did I, the one time I win something, the one time I win something, I win a pan. It's kind of like you, Carson, winning the Lego flowers set. Like, it's like, come on, like, the one time we win something, it's that? Everyone else wins these cool things. But you see my point? It's like, I was at first happy. I was like, cool, a pan. Like, I finally won something. And the second this guy gets an iPad, it devalued what I did get which was this pan. And so the first place comparison takes us is to the land of Ur. And the problem with the land of Ur, it causes you to devalue what you do have. Now on the flip side of that, there's another land of Ur that comparison can take us to. And that is what I call is comparison can make you feel falsely superior. Comparison can make you feel falsely superior. Right? I call this, we always compare ourselves to the lowest common denominator. In the same way, you can always find someone who is prettier than you, who is faster than you, who is stronger than you. In the same way, you can find a lowest common denominator. You can find someone to make yourself feel good about. Like you can find someone who is dumber than you, someone who is uglier than you, someone who is uh, less cooler than you, right? You can always find someone to make yourself feel good, right? You can find someone who is more of a sinner than you. And we do this all the time. Like I remember, I remember when I would get my grades back in, in school and like, let's say I got an 83, you know, like that could be good, that could be bad. And I would immediately look to my friends and be like, Okay, Jimmy, he got a 65, and he's a good student, so like my grade's pretty good since he got a 65. And then I go home, and I would tell my dad, and my dad would be like, what grade did you get? I got an A2, and he's like, why didn't you get an A? Right, you could have gotten an A, and I'm like, well, it doesn't matter. Like, Jimmy got a 65, and you already know what he said. He's like, you're not Jimmy. Like, you could have gotten an A, and I'm like, Dad, you don't get, but you see where I'm going. It's like, we always find, we can always find a lower common denominator, someone who's worse off to compare ourselves to. 
And the Bible warns us of this. This is our natural tendency, but the Bible warns us of this when it comes to our faith. If you looked at Luke chapter 18, there's a parable about a Pharisee and a tax collector. And you guys are probably familiar with it. Pharisees, they were supposed to be the religious people, the holy people. Tax collectors, these were the bad people of the time, the sinners. And But here's this story. Jesus tells this. He says, Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this, God, I, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And so worldly comparison can make you falsely superior. And the Bible warns us that says, hey, you will one way or another be humbled. You can either choose to be humbled or you will be humbled by God. That's what Luke says. And hey, here's the reality is we do this all the time. I'm bringing the pan back up because there was a third person who won a prize. So I won the pan. Another guy won an iPad. And then I was feeling sad about my pan. But then the third guy, I remember, he got a $25 Torchies gift card. <laughs> Not better because this hand, I could, I could sell this pan for way more than a Torchy's gift card. And so all of a sudden I was like, man, I'll, I'm happy with my pan now. You know, I still wish I had the iPad, but at least I didn't get the worst gift ever, right? And, and so we do that. We compare ourselves and try to find a lower common denominator to make us feel better about our bodies, about our sports, about our faith even. I'm just saying, well, at least I'm not, you know, I'm not a perfect Christian. Like I struggle reading my Bible and all this, but at least I'm not doing these things. At least I'm not as bad as them. And that's what the Pharisee was doing. At least I'm not like that guy, that tax collector. Like at least I give a little bit. I pray a little bit. I'm not like him. But then we see who the one who was exalted was. It was the one who humbled himself before God. So worldly comparison takes us to the land of Ur and causes us to make us feel falsely superior. And then most importantly, the biggest danger about worldly comparison is it causes us to resent God. If you go back to Matthew, the parable of the laborers, my favorite verse from this parable, the one that just made me really just, just think and reflect on my own life was verse 11. And this is when the people who worked all day, when they received their wage, this is what they said. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house. That was, to me, the most important verse from this parable was the one where they said they grumbled at the master of the house. Why was that my favorite verse from this, the most important verse from that chapter? Because it made me realize that when I struggle with comparison, that when you struggle with comparison, that we're not really mad at someone else. Like, these people, they weren't really mad at the, peop the guys that got luckier. No, they were mad at the master. I wasn't upset when Bryce Hopple would beat me every race. Do you think I was upset with Bryce Hopple? No, I wasn't upset with him, really. And I would not have phrased it at the time, but I was really upset with God. 
of God, why, why didn't you give me those genetics? Why didn't you make me like him? You know, and maybe if you compare yourself to other parents, like if you compare your parents to other parents, why didn't you give me the cool parents and chill parents? Or why didn't you make me look like him or make me like her? Why didn't you make me a certain way? You could have, but you chose not to. And just to get personal with you guys, and I was hesitant to share this uh, because I think as a high schooler, I would have had a hard time understanding why this is difficult, like why this is hard. But just to, just to share this with you guys, is my wife and I, for the last two years, we've been trying to have a baby. And it hasn't happened yet. And I know as a 15-year-old, 17-year-old, like that may be hard to be like, well, what's the big deal? Well, I mean, the big deal is we want to, to get pregnant. We want to have a child, uh, our own biological child. And that may or may not happen. And it's so out of our control, but it is just frustrating, right? As we go month after month of trying for a kid and it doesn't happen. And then what's the hardest part about that? You know, the hardest part is when you see other people who are able to have a kid. And then you look around and say like, well, what's special about them? Are their prayers better than mine? Are they holier than me for God to gift them in this certain way? Like, is there something that they're doing different? Like, what is it about them? And do you think that I'm upset at them? Like as my friend for having a baby? Like, no. I'm not upset at them. Like, really, when I compare myself to them, I'm really upset at God, just like the people in the parable of the laborers. Like, I'm really upset at God and saying, God, why didn't you give me that? And so comparison, it is so dangerous in that way that it not only causes you to resent your your friends, other people, people you care about, but it also causes you to hate God to resent God, to grumble at God, to complain at God. And so where does worldly comparison take us? Worldly comparison traps us in the land of Ur, makes you feel falsely superior, and it causes you to resent God. And so I wonder where is worldly comparison taking you? I just shared where it's taken me lately and where I'm fighting that. Where is it taking you tonight? Now, I started this message by saying there's another type of comparison. That I believe that that, that God, uh, I, I believe this, I'll say this, I believe comparison is neutral. We often say that comparison is the thief of what? Of joy, right? You've heard that before. Comparison is the thief of joy. And my definition was that comparison can be the thief of joy, but it can also be the root of your joy. And here's what I mean by that is because I believe that there is holy comparison and that God, he wants us to compare things that without comparison, I don't think we would have a Bible. And, and what I mean by that is, is this, is there's going to be three answers is how does God use comparison for good? How does God use comparison for good? Well, there's going to be three short answers to that is number one, holy comparison this holy comparison, which we started with, holy comparison is realizing you have more than you deserve. Where does holy comparison take us? Holy comparison causes us to love God. Worldly comparison, I said worldly comparison causes us to resent God. Worldly comparison causes us to look to our left and to our right, to compare ourselves to others. But holy comparison causes us to look up. It causes us to look up to God. 
right? And without comparison, there would not be a Bible because comparison is the gospel. Like look at Romans 3.23. You all know this verse. For all uh, have sinned and fallen short of what? The glory of God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, not the glory of man. Like we, we treat it like, man, we've all fallen short of the glory of man. Like as long as I'm good enough to this person, it's like, no, no, no. The Bible is like, we're gonna compare you to God. I'm gonna compare you to me, Will. That's what God is saying. Like, let me compare you to myself. And I am perfect and you are not. I'm up here, you're down here. And there is nothing you can do that is enough. Because when we compare each other, we are nothing alike. I'm God and you are not. Like, that's what the Bible is about. That's what, like, all these, if you read your Bible in the, 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 from cover to cover, you'll see that that's what it's about. It's like, man, God is perfect, he's good, and we can trust him, and we are not that without him. But the good news and the hope of the gospel and the joy in Christmas is that God made a way that even though uh, he's perfect and we are not, he made a way for us to become like him, to join him in his righteousness by sending his son Jesus Christ in the form and likeness of man who he humbled himself to the point of of death, even death on a cross. Why? Because he loves you for you, that he who knew no sin, that Jesus, he who knew no sin became sin on the cross, that he died and suffered for you, for your righteousness. So that way you, all you have to do is believe in him, to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is Lord and you will be saved. Like that is the gospel. And it wouldn't be possible. The gospel would not be possible if you did not compare yourself to him. If you were not like that tax collector who humbled yourself and just said, I am a sinner and I am not worthy of you because when I compare us, you're perfect and I am not. It's impossible to view Jesus as your savior unless you believe that. And so that is where comparison, that is where holy comparison comes into play, where you realize, man, I I have gotten more than I deserve because what I deserve was punishment and death because of my sin. For the wages of sin is death, but the free life in Christ, or the, the free gift in Christ is eternal life. And so I deserve death, but the joy and holy comparison is that I've gotten more than I deserve, that I've gotten more than I deserve because he's given me eternal life. And that's all I need. That's that's the greatest gift I could ever be given. So holy comparison causes us to love God because of that. And without comparison, I I don't think I could love God because I would never realize how much he's done in my life. And the second reason, uh, the second way God uses comparison for good is holy comparison. Holy comparison gives you the freedom to be yourself. Worldly comparison says you're not loved because you're not as pretty as her. Worldly comparison says you're not as popular because uh, you're not as cool as him. Worldly comparison says, hey, you didn't get invited to this uh, this." hangout time and because you're not as cool as she is or because you have stricter parents than them that's what whole that's what worldly comparison says but holy comparison says hey you will never be enough there is nothing you can do to be enough you will never be popular enough 
You will never be pretty enough. You will never be fast enough to deserve to be loved. There is nothing you can do to be enough. But that's okay. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying you don't have to be enough because I was enough for you on the cross. And look, I know some of you are saying like, man, well, well I like, I believe that. Like I know the gospel, but I still struggle with comparison. Like I still struggle. Like, man, why did God like, like create me like this? You know, why did he make me like this? Like I, I believe that Jesus is enough, but I still struggle with comparison. And man, I would point you to, to Psalm 139 and just say like, man, God, not only is he your savior, not only is he enough, but he's also your creator. And he didn't make a mistake, right? Like Psalm 139 says, for you are fearfully and wonderfully made that he knew you in your mother's womb, that he knitted you. And he didn't make a mistake. He didn't make a mistake when he made you. Right, I think of John 21. There's this chapter in John 21 that I love so much where Jesus, he's resurrected. He's appearing to the disciples and he appears to Peter. And he says, y'all know the story. He says, goes to Peter. He says, hey, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, yes, I love you. And Jesus says, tend my sheep. And Jesus, do you love me? Peter's like, yes, you know, I love you. Jesus is like, but do you love me? And Peter's like, yes, like stop asking. You know, I love you. And then Jesus, he describes, he tells Peter essentially like, hey, you are going to die for your faith and it's going to hurt. Like that, that is your mission in life is you're going to die for your faith. And you know, Peter, he seems at first content with that. He doesn't ask any questions, but then they go back to the other disciples and Peter's like, well, what about this guy? Like, what about John? Is he going to die for his faith too? And Jesus, he just kindly rebukes Peter and says, essentially, like, stop worrying about him. Stop comparing to other people. Like, this is what Jesus says. He says, you follow me. You follow me. And in the same way, holy comparison gives you the freedom to be yourself because God did not make any mistakes when he made you. And when you compare yourself to others, you are questioning God's goodness of God. Like, why can't I get pregnant like why other, other people? Why, why can't we have a kid like other people? Why can't we be like, why can't I be like her or him or this or that? And God is saying, hey, look, you follow me. Like that is all I'm going to say is you follow me. I'm not going to necessarily explain to you the why behind every decision, everything that happens in your life. But what I will say is you follow me and it will be worth it because there is more joy and less scars in Christ. And because we already have the greatest gift, which is salvation, which is more than we deserve. So I think tonight, I don't know what you're comparing yourself to. But I do know Jesus is looking at you and saying, you follow me. And then lastly, holy comparison gives you the freedom to celebrate others. And this one's fairly self-explanatory, but I think holy comparison, the worst part about worldly comparison, or one of the worst parts is it, it causes you to Pray on the downfall of other people, right? Literally, like it, it caused me to like, man, whenever, whenever a competitor in running would get injured, whenever I was in high school, I wasn't a believer, whenever Bryce Hopple or someone like him would get hurt, I'd be like, praise God, man. Like that is one less guy to run against. Like that helped me out. And then that's a terrible, I mean, that is a terrible way of thinking though. And when I got in college and came to know the Lord, my mind shifted 
change where I said, man, I don't, like I want, and, and this will sound so good, so cringy, I guess, but it's just like, man, I wanted everyone to be healthy. I wanted everyone to have the best race. I wanted everyone when I ran against them to have the best race because I wanted the best competition. I wanted the the people to just have joy while running for us just to all push each other to be the best we could be. And in the same way in our Christian faith, like you all have spiritual gifts. You all have different gifts and God is calling you to use them. And when you compare your gift to others, like you're going to end up wasting your gift. Like for example, and, and coming to close, but like Jermaine, he's very good at uh, attention to detail. Uh, the gift of administration, that would be one of his top gifts. And for me, uh, that's my bottom gift, right? That is my, I don't know if you guys can believe that or not, but I'm not a guy that is like dusting the shelves and making sure like we don't have any spelling typos. I mean, even in my notes, I looked over them. There's, no, this pan, dude. Uh, there's, there's typos. <laughs> there's typos in my notes. And I already know that someone who has more attention to details corrected those notes when there were no typos on the screen. But that's not my gift. And if I tried to make that my gift, then, then I, I would end up being just bad at it and I wouldn't be like Jermaine and I would be wasting my gifts. But no, what I get to do is I get to celebrate Jermaine and his gifts. And then likewise, he celebrates you guys and your gifts and calls you to be the person that God made you to be. And yes, God wants you to be a kinder, uh, more loving, gentler version of you, but all he wants you to be is you. And so as we close... Let me just remind you where we went. There's two types of comparison. There's worldly comparison and there's holy comparison. And there is a fight in your mind for those two. Every decision uh, you really make as you move forward, I, I think that comparison will be a reality. And you get to choose. You get to choose. Do you want to uh, choose worldly comparison or holy comparison? Right? And holy comparison leads to life. Worldly comparison will lead to death. And so as we close, I want to just to remind you of those words Jesus spoke to Peter is stop, is you follow me. Stop looking to your left and right. Stop looking to other people and you follow me. So let me pray. God, I thank you for these students. I thank you for I thank you for comparison. I thank you uh, that we that we have you to compare ourselves to. I thank you for the gift of the gospel that as we compare ourselves to you, that we see someone who is perfect for us, who sees someone who is enough for us and how you call us to that, how you call us to be a part of that. And so I pray for these students that they accept that call, that they accept uh, you as their savior, that they know you as your savior and that they, the only person they ever compare themselves to is you. Uh, so we love you and we need you. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Watermark Students Podcast. For more information on Watermark Students, check out watermark.org slash students. And we love you guys so much. We're glad you joined us. We hope you share this episode with a friend. I will talk to you next time.